Hello, this is Pizzicato Ost, and I am Leo Jivetsky. We continue with Mussorgsky's Pictures at an Exhibition, a piece so dense with details that one episode was just not enough for it. In the first part, we were using a recording made by the young star pianist Khatya Bunyatishvili. For the second part, we'll be using a different recording. This was made in 1979 by Soviet pianist Lazar Berman. I think he's an underrated musician, and I'll be very happy if more people know the name and uh, hear him play. So, in the previous episode, we finished with the fifth promenade. Um, that was, in a way, an ending to the first act of the cycle. And now... Um, we are in what we call the second act. The autograph of Pictures and an Exhibition included an epigraph to the next piece that's called Limoges, Le Marché, or The Market. It is titled Big News and is supposed to be read in a fast tempo, imitating a French speech about a totally insignificant event that is able, however, to cause fuss in a little town among the ladies at the market. The big news. Monsieur de Puissantjot has recovered his cow fugitive. But the good wives of Limoges are not interested in this incident because Madame de Rambousac has acquired very fine porcelain dentures while Monsieur de Pantin-Pantalon is still troubled by his obtrusive nose that remains as red as a peony. Later on, Mussorgsky omitted the text... But um, I do think it adds a bit of character to the piece. This um, miniature is a constant whirling of the tongues of the marketplace ladies discussing a big piece of news. Yada, 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 as we say, something like that. Um, at some point, there's even something that might form into a conflict, but there's no time for that because we got to tell everyone the news first. Notice how nothing is going on in the lower register of the basses. This only involves female voices. Limoges, Le Marché. Strangely, 
there is nothing in the catalog of the exhibition about a comical scene. It is known that Hartman has been living in uh, Limoges for some time, exploring the architecture and the decor of the local cathedral. And uh, in the exhibition, we do have uh, a praying woman, a priest riding a donkey, some monks, but nothing to be the prototype of this piece of music. Presumably, this is an image collected from all these scenes and possibly some stories told by Hartmann uh, from his times in France. Next, after Limoges, we're facing two miniatures following each other without a stop. The catacombe, sepulcrum romanum, which is the Latin for catacombs, Roman tomb, and cum mortuis in lingua mortua, or with the dead in a dead language. The two shared the same mood of somber concentration, a deep thought of the passing of time and of death. The catacombs are an illustration of a Hartman painting where Hartman himself, his travel partner, and a guide holding a lantern are all standing amid the underground Roman burial site in Paris. This is picture two in the new Instagram post on our Instagram account, Pizzicato Ost. The alternating loud and soft chords evoke a certain grandeur, a stillness, and echo of the catacombs. We feel no rhythmic pattern, which makes this feel like we're outside the concept of time. Each heavy chord is sort of a pillar holding this underground structure.
Now, what comes next is very well described by Stasov in a letter to Rimsky-Korsakov. Here's what he says. The picture is filled with skulls. Mussorgsky first depicts a macabre underground with long, purely orchestral chords and long fermatas. Then, accompanied by a constant tremolo, he gives the minor version of the old promenade theme. These are little sparks starting to shine in the empty eyes of the skulls, a poetic vocation from Hartmann to Mussorgsky. As you've clearly heard, this was, again, the promenade. But what a completely different meaning to it now. This is no longer a singing choral episode. It may be a dialogue. And we do hear phrases in the higher and lower registers following each other. Could that be Mussorgsky and Hartmann conversing about life and death? In uh, Mussorgsky's opera, Boris Godunov, there is a scene where the ghost of the murdered Prince Dmitri appears to Boris. This tremulating accompaniment reminds us a bit of that scene. Let's hear it to compare. Yes, <laughs> 
Единое, единое случайно завелось, Душа сгорит, нальется сердце ядом, Так тяжко, тяжко станет, Что молотом стучит в ушах укором И проклятием, и душит что-то, Душит, и голова кружится, just heard the hallucination scene from Mussorgsky's Boris Godunov, sung by Yevgeny Nesterenko, accompanied by the orchestra of the Bolshoi Theater, conducted by Mark Ermler. I know the connection with the previous piece is not obvious, but if you listen to it again, actually these spooky tremulations do remind us the same atmosphere. And uh, if you're not familiar with Boris Godunov, the opera, I strongly recommend you um, get yourself acquainted with it. It is a brilliant piece. On the other hand, it also reminds us of a scene from another Mussorgsky opera, one that was not written yet when pictures and exhibition were being composed. It is the opera Kovanshina, and there Marfa is predicting the future using wax candles. Here's the flickering of the candle from the opera Kovanshina. Открытель! 
We've just heard a short excerpt of Marfa's fortune-telling scene from Mussorgsky's opera Hovanshina, and this is taken from a 1946 recording from Leningrad, and Marfa is sung by Sofia Preobrazhenskaya. But enough distractions from pictures and exhibition. The part titled With the Dead in a Dead Language ends in a satisfying major key taking off and softening this long eeriness. Here it is again, the very ending of the miniature. We've now approached a piece where we have the original Hartman work. And to me, it always serves to depict this sort of a David and Goliath effect. How can such imaginative, inspiring work derive from... Well, just, just look at the picture. This is number three in the Instagram post. So um, if you're looking at the picture now, you can see that this is a piece of product design. It's a sketch of a table clock. It is a neat little wooden hut standing on hand feet. This is the only detail connecting this object to the mysterious Baba Yaga. Now, this character, Baba Yaga, is one of the most popular dark spirits of Russian folk culture. The real terrifying, mysterious image of this creature has very little to do with this elegant little interior design piece. Now, Mussorgsky's interpretation is something of a different sort. He chooses to depict the grotesque side of this creature, To do this, he shows us Baba Yaga in action. Baba Yaga is portrayed flying through the air in a mortar using the pestle as a rudder. So we have the first bars serving as sort of an ignition, which is trying to start her vehicle. Mm, not starting. Try again. Okay, now the right approach is found, represented by the note G. A rhythmical 
stomping pattern is also established, continuing repeatedly. She's not a very consistent pilot, so the flight is a bit uneven and irregular. It gives the image of the old lady this irrational, crazy side. The melody here is simple, basic, and totally wild. And it reaches its happy climax rather fast. Let's hear the whole first part now. middle section, the character of the music changes completely. We now actually see the setting, a magical night forest. We've already said a bit about Baba Yaga as a character on our show um, when we were recommending the album Enchanted Kingdom with the Russian National Orchestra. Then it was in connection to another piece, though, the orchestral um, piece by Lyadov called Baba Yaga. And this middle section of the Mussorgsky piano piece um, is very similar in, in mood to this impressionist one created by Lyadov in 1909. By the way, it was Mussorgsky who first noticed the very young composer Lyadov and recommended him to the then almighty critic Stasov. Let us hear the Lyadov interpretation of Baba Yaga before we continue with Mussorgsky.
we've just heard Anatoly Lyadov's um, orchestral miniature Baba Yaga, played by the Mariinsky Orchestra or Kirov Orchestra, um, conducted by Valery Gergiev on a recording from 1994. Now we're back with Mussorgsky, and we're in the piece The Hut on Chicken's Legs, where after a wild flight in the first part, the atmosphere gets more still and mysterious. The feeling of tense anticipation, nocturnal rustles, a sudden knocking. This is a transformation of Baba Yaga's stomping. This all is depicted by Mussorgsky with a tremulating, quivering background. The sound is so profoundly orchestral, you can almost hear the string section here. The constant knocking is full of uncertainty. The harmony is never reliable here. The rhythm is also very expressive. Pauses appear here and there, causing a sense of unrest. And we hear constant voices echoing in the night forest. We come back to where we started the miniature and it ends with the witch flying away in her mortar. In this little piece, we hear 
much of what is to come in the 20th century. We've already mentioned Lyadov, um, but it is also worth mentioning the fantastic pieces of the early Prokofiev, namely his little piano piece called Diabolic Suggestions, his opus four, number four. just heard a recording from 1935 of Sergei Prokofiev playing his Diabolic Suggestions, Opus 4, Number 4. So we were with Mussorgsky's Hut on Chicken Legs, which was the second purely Russian image in the pictures from an exhibition. We could say that this was kind of a return home after traveling through foreign lands. We can build an arch connecting this piece with the very first opening promenade with its Russian song character. But Baba Yaga is still a fairy tale character and a negative one too. In contrast, a positive, bright image follows in the final number of the work, Bogatyrskie Varota, Stolnam Gorodi Vakieve, or the Bogatyr Gates in the capital in Kiev. We approach this last movement with a little historical remark. In April 1866, 
there was an attempt to assassinate the Tsar Alexander II. We've mentioned this in our episode about Borodin before. That attempt fell through, which led to numerous festive commemorations. It was planned to erect a uh, gate in Kiev, and a competition was announced for the project. Hartman had made a project in neo-Russian style. The top of the gate was decorated with a helmet-shaped dome, um, specifically the helmet of a bogatir, a legendary Russian wandering warrior hero. This was to emphasize the meaning of Kiev as the first capital of the Russian state. The project never came to be, but we do have the Hartman sketch, and it is also in our Instagram post. The Mussorgsky piece depicts a rich festivity. It sounds like a finale of a grand opera. Here I'm always thinking of the finale of Glinka's opera, A Life for the Tsar.
We've just heard the finale of Glinka's opera Life for the Tsar or Ivan Susanin. This was the chorus and orchestra of the Bolshoi Theater in Moscow conducted by Mark Ermler. The bells especially um, are very dear to me because I remember them hanging right above the stage, very high up, and every time you would stand on the stage of the Bolshoi you and you looked up, you could see those bells. And um, these bells also remind me of um, what we hear in the Mussorgsky piece that I'm going to speak about next. The bells in the orchestra in Glinka's work can be heard on the piano in the final movement of Pictures and Exhibition. This is along with the marking Maestoso, with a slow rhythm and long notes. The movement starts with a broad Russian song-like melody, then goes to a contrasting second theme similar to church singing. But um, the second part of the piece is something new. The piano virtually becomes a set of diverse bells. 
first soft and in a minor key, then growing louder and shifting to major, first the slow big bell, then the smaller ones, then the even smaller ones and the tiny, and when they all sound together, the promenade theme comes in the picture to round up the composition of the entire work. This leads to a short third part with variations on the first and finishes it all with a grand coda. We've now heard the final movement of Mussorgsky's piano suite, Pictures from an Exhibition, played by Lazar Berman. I must say, the life of Pictures from an Exhibition is unusual. While friends and colleagues mostly accepted it well, it never got printed during Mussorgsky's lifetime. And further editions starting from 1886, were all edited versions, the first by Rimsky-Korsakov and then so on. It was also never really popular among pianists. What really made it stand out is its mighty and obvious orchestral potential. 
It had been set for orchestra by various composers throughout the years, and I think we'll have a separate show about this in the future. But um, I will mention the most notable one. This was made by Maurice Ravel in 1922. And this version has become an extremely popular work in the concert and recording repertoire. So to finish today's show, let's listen to the final movement, The Gate of Kiev, again, but now as orchestrated by Maurice Ravel on a recording from 1979 with the Philadelphia Orchestra under Ricardo Muti. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to subscribe to our Instagram, that's Pizzicato Ost in one word, and to email with any questions to pizzicatoost at gmail.com. We will be back with more music soon. And for now, bye-bye. <laughs>